Virus. Facts, not fear. I can't stress it enough. Your actions matter. Staying home matters. Staying home will save lives. And I know this is really, really hard. Most of us have never lived through a time where we've had to take this kind of collective action to change our entire way of life in a matter of days. In many ways, this is like a war right here at home, and our enemy is this virus. It can hurt us. It can take our loved ones from us. And the only way we can win and save as many lives as possible is if we all do our part and stay home. An emotional plea from the state's top health officials today, those three words, stay at home. Good evening and thank you for joining us for Facts Not Fear. I'm David Crabtree. The most aggressive effort yet in North Carolina to combat the spread of this virus is now in effect. Hello everyone, I'm Deborah Morgan. And I'm Gerald Owens. This order affects more than 10 million North Carolinians. More than 1,300 people have now tested positive in our state, a thousand more than this time last week. Nine people have died in our state so far. Seven were residents, two were from out of state but died here. The most recent death was a 65-year-old patient at a Northampton County nursing home. 137 people are hospitalized with the virus. And today we do have a better idea about how hospitals in the state are looking. Dr. Mandy Cohen tells us of the 15,000 inpatient beds in North Carolina, actually right now 40% are empty, pointing out for now, quote, we do have the capacity we need for regular beds. The concern is with ICU. We could be short nearly 300 beds in intensive care. North Carolina is expected to receive its third shipment of medical supplies from the national stockpile either today or tomorrow. We know North Carolina requested half a million of the following. N95 masks, procedure masks, gowns, and gloves, and face shields and coveralls. Today, North Carolina Governor, and I'm sorry, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo credited the federal government as the crisis continues to grow in that state. The U.S. Navy hospital ship Comfort pulled into New York Harbor this morning, docking just off Manhattan. It will accept non-coronavirus patients to relieve overburdened hospitals in the epicenter of the nation's outbreak. The White House Coronavirus Task Force just wrapped up their daily briefing. Let's go to WRL's Mark Boyle. He's in the Live Center. Mark. Gerald, the president says there will be enough ventilators. More are being produced in terms of medicine. He said that is being worked on as well with the FDA, trying to move things along the system at a quicker pace, of course, keeping safety at the utmost priority through all of this. In terms of getting a control and handle on the rising number of COVID-19 cases, he says people need to listen to the leaders, local and state leaders, to try and keep the curve down. Take a listen. Challenging times are ahead for the next 30 days, and this is a very vital 30 days. We're sort of putting it all on the line, this 30 days, so important because we have to get back. But the more we dedicate ourselves today, the more quickly we will emerge on the other side of the crisis. 
Now, the president went on to say that he's hoping that there will be a bit of a downward trend in at the bottom of this hill by early June, but that number is going to be in flux. That date specifically, it's likely to move because they're still trying to get that curve to come down. We've seen hotspots. He mentioned them like in New York and California, Washington State. The president also saying there's been a bit of a flare up down in the south in the state of Alabama. He went on to talk about how all of these states that need resources when the governor says, look, we need help from regardless of what state it is, Republican or Democrat. He pressed that he will make sure the federal uh, help is on the way and that FEMA is ready to assist when needed. Back to you. Mark, thank you. On this program last week, interim UNC system president, Dr. William Roper, said the system was making progress when it comes to refunds for this semester. Today, we received a bit more clarification. Dr. Roper saying the system plans to provide prorated reimbursements of payments for unused housing and dining services. The specifics still being worked out and should be finalized in the coming weeks. Duke University took the next step today in canceling many of its popular summer programs. In addition to the first semester of summer school being canceled, Duke pulled the plug on the popular talent identification or TIP program for gifted middle and high school students. Sports camps scheduled for the first half of the summer are canceled. Duke will make a decision on July sports camps by the end of April. The mayor of Fayetteville is proposing taking the stay-at-home order one step further. He is asking town leaders to look into the possibility of an overnight curfew. I think uh, this will help address any of the gaps that the, the, the current order uh, doesn't address. So we still understand that there are some uh, social gatherings either at, at home or at certain um, other locations. And so I think a curfew will be a great way to kind of limit that. The soonest it would take effect is Wednesday. As part of our ongoing Here to Help community commitment, WRAL and the United Way are working together on a fundraising event this Thursday. It's time for us to help the helpers. The United Way's Rapid Response Fund provides immediate funding to many nonprofits on the front lines of our community. They are experiencing an increased demand for critical resources such as food, child care and housing due to COVID-19. How can you help the helpers? Join us by donating this Thursday directly to the Rapid Re Response Fund from 4.30 a.m. through 8 p.m. An important warning for all of us as we here at WREL work to spread facts, not fear. Coming up, protecting your wallets and your well-being. How crooks are already trying to take advantage of the crisis. We're talking live with the U.S. Attorney for Eastern North Carolina answering your questions. And here to help at a time when essential workers need it most. Another example of the power of social media and the overwhelming response from our community. Our neighborhood hero, you'll meet him right here live. You're watching WRAL Facts Not Fear. Welcome back. It's not just our local health care workers and first responders on the front lines. One of our area's top employers is answering the call when it comes to monitoring the spread of COVID-19. Joining me now via Zoom is SAS Chief Operating Officer and Executive Vice President Oliver Schaubenberger. Oliver, thanks for talking with us. Let's first start with the data and your expertise. It's what SAS is known for and finding answers. Looking at the analytics, is that one of the top priorities that SAS is working on right now with this illness? Thank you for having me on the program, David. Absolutely. This is a very data-rich problem, obviously. And uh, we are in, you know, working in multiple phases. Step one is kind of situational awareness, understanding what is going on in the county and state and in the country and compared to, to other places in the world where the pandemic has been or is moving through. 
Um, so we have uh, dashboards, COVID dashboards that we make available to give rich insights that are easily consumable and we update this daily available on sas.com. But the next step is really understanding where it's heading, where we're going and how to adjust uh, resources around it. And this is where we're, you know, analytics is used to predict the risk for on the health system. Uh, we are working with epidemiological models. You might hear the term SEER model, S-E-I-R, that stands for susceptible, exposed, infected, and recovering to understand, you know, underlying scientific mathematical models. How did disease, how the pandemic moves through um, the population? And we're working with our friends at Cleveland Clinic to actually build a library of these models and fit them to data, um, then make them available. And then the next step, once we have these, the, once these models are in place, is really to, then to answer the very important question about health resource optimization. Uh, in, in the, where, where are the ICU beds needed, uh, the, uh, the, the personal, the protective personal equipment, the ventilators, the dialysis machine. If you, if you use an analogy from sports, from ice hockey, the, the first step, the situational awareness is really understanding where the puck is. But what we're getting to is understanding where the puck is going to be and skating there. Well, with hockey, you don't always know where it's going. So as you're looking at this early information, this early data, are you encouraged by what you're seeing or are you stepping back and going, oh my? Well, we, somebody said today, uh, the number of people looking at exponential curves has grown exponentially. I think we're all still seeing an incredible rise of the, uh, of the, the number of cases and we need to be aware that the, the number of cases we're aware of is probably not, is an underestimate of the number of infections in the populations because of we're, we're testing those with, with symptoms. But this is what these models can adjust for. Um, and so it's, it's really important just to understand where it's going and based on a, you know, on a sound scientific principles uh, rather than you know, just, just guesswork. Um, I have seen uh, recent uh, new models coming out of uh, University of Washington today um, that uh, showed a number of deaths over the next four months in the U.S. less than um, what, what, has been what has been reported today. That would be absolutely good news. I think what we need to do is have good data, listen to the data, use uh, good scientific methods in, in modeling to, to, to get a good handle on what is going to happen next to understand where the next hotspot is going to be and where we need to need to move resources. Dr. Schabenberger, you had a major event scheduled this week in Washington, the SAS Global Conference Forum. You had to rework this totally. What will it look like now? Well, uh, we would have been on stage yesterday, last night and, and, and this morning when uh, I be conference. Yeah, we called off the event very early on. Uh, we first turned it into a uh, plan on a virtual event, but we postponed that as well. Uh, the The world's attention is uh, is on on handling the COVID crisis, and we have uh, issued an all hands on deck call at SAS, uh, going all, out, out to all our world, the worldwide em employees to if you have skills and expertise in epidemiology, health statistics, public health, uh, um, nursing, then we want. We want to use your skills and expertise right now and dedicate it to the, the fight against uh, COVID. And, and employees are raising their hand, obviously, and this is where our focus is, and this is where we need to concentrate our effort. Speaking of employees, you've got thousands of workers in the triangle around the world. SAS consistently ranking at the top of the best places to work. 
How are you handling the challenges and what could some other companies learn from SaaS? And how do you deal with all the remote working when you have such an active campus with so many perks there? Well, we, uh, we've, we're now in week three of uh, working from home. Um, we, we, we pretty much expect, told all employees in the U.S., we expect them to work from home starting March 16, and now they must work from home. If they can do the work from home, obviously, we're all staying at home. Uh, it's, it's new territory for us. We're learning a lot from a technical perspective. Our infrastructure is designed to support it. Our CIO, Jay Upchurch, has done a marvelous job in supporting it. It's really the human side of the change that uh, we are working with. You know, we're on the positive side, we're learning a lot about how you're doing virtual meetings, virtual customer support, uh, virtual happy hours after work. Um, but it really adds to a sense of loss of normalcy that we all are going through, a sense of loss of security um, and safety. And so there's heightened stress and anxiety in these times. So we're trying to have programs in place to bring back a little bit of the sense of normalcy. So our healthcare center and our pharmacy on campus remain open to care for employees and their family. Our work life center is issuing tips and tricks for how to deal with anxiety and stress and isolation. Uh, the SAS daycare and preschool teachers have started social channels to keep engaged with the kids and the parents. So they're reading to the kids uh, online and so that the kids still can interact with each other. Our RFC does remote virtual tours and workouts and exercises. Wow. So well, our productivity has not really dropped. Um, we, our logistics and supply chain are not disrupted at all. I mean, we're fully operational. Um, we are supporting our customers the, the, the way we have before, but it is adjusting to this, you know, this loss of normalcy and this this changing world that we really have to manage. Well, we're and all so doing. So I do much more uh, more virtual meetings and I right. do more video messages than where maybe previously I would have done an email. What a change we're all going through. SAS Chief Operating Officer, Executive Vice President, Dr. Oliver Schabenberger, thanks for your time and your insight. Thank you for having me anytime. Today, FBI agents arrested a Georgia man. Investigators say trying to profit from recommending people for COVID-19 testing who didn't need it. Eric Santos runs a marketing company. He's accused of steering people to take tests, including COVID-19, and billing them to Medicare in order to make a profit. According to court documents, the goal was to specifically target Medicare beneficiaries who were not exhibiting symptoms of COVID-19 or were otherwise unlikely to test positive for the virus. We're going to hear from those working on the front lines to keep your money safe just ahead. It's a WRAL News special presentation. Coronavirus. Facts, not fear. Investigators say they are seeing more and more people trying to take advantage of others when they are most vulnerable. As an ongoing part of our effort to spread facts, not fear, we want to help you be on the lookout for scams. Joining me now to talk about this via, safe, via FaceTime, that is, is U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of North Carolina, Bobby Higdon, Jr. Bobby, thank you so much for joining us. First of all, let's talk about some of the most common complaints you've had in the last couple of weeks. Whatever we're getting a wide range of complaints from all across the country, and they range from things where people are trying to defraud people based upon cures or, or drugs to help with the coronavirus, all the way across the spectrum to things related to the stimulus checks that people are expecting. Well, with those stimulus checks going out soon, what are some ways we might see criminals trying to get a hold of that money? 
Well, we're already seeing uh, what criminals are doing, and it's very consistent with crimes we've seen in the past. The people know that the checks are coming, and so people are, are on alert. People are distressed. They're concerned. And so criminals are approaching them and telling them, look, we can help you get your, your check. If you just provide us with your bank information, we'll get that money deposited. And of course, that's not how the government operates. And we're already seeing cases of powerful figures trying to sell fake cures. That's always uh, a difficult um, instance that you have to deal with. Like, how do you prove what is true and what's false? Well, in this case, uh, one thing we know that's true is we don't have a cure for the coronavirus yet. And so when people are selling these types of remedies and cures uh, on television and online, we know they're all fake because we don't have that ability yet. How are your law enforcement officers still trying to keep us safe during this new world of social distancing? You obviously have a lot of criminals who are out, uh, out there still committing crimes, and yet your law enforcement officers need to keep safe themselves. So how are you able to do that, keep them safe? Well, law enforcement is very much at work, uh, even in this time of social distancing and people being encouraged to stay at home. We're taking efforts to make sure that our people are safe, but federal, state, and local law enforcement are out there doing their jobs every day, whether it's related to fraud, whether it's related to violent crime, drug crime, they're out there doing the same job they always do. We've heard uh, a lot, especially coming out of New York, that some of the law enforcement officers are having to call in sick. Are you having any problems with having enough law enforcement officers working right now? Well, we're not having problems with enough law enforcement officers working, but of course, every time that they go out in the community, they are facing the same risk that we're all trying to avoid. And so agencies are taking steps to make sure that they minimize uh, unnecessary contact, and they're trying to be even smarter than they usually are in their interaction with the public and their response to criminal activity. But they're still out there working hard, facing that risk. That's what they're paid to do. They're the ones that run towards the harm when the rest of us run away from it. They sure do, and we're so grateful. Bobby, as we leave you, tell us some advice on what we all need to do to avoid becoming victims. And I know you have a hotline to share as well. Well, my advice is the same advice I give with respect to every type of fraud is if someone offers you something that sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. And you should run away from that. But if you're approached by individuals in any way that you think are involved in criminal activity, they're trying to defraud you. We'd ask that you report it to the National Center for Disaster Fraud, and you can reach them at 866 720 5721, or you can email them at disaster at leo.gov. There'll be people there ready to take the information and forward it to law enforcement and help us to build cases against the individuals that are trying to defraud the people of this country. Bobby, thank you so much. The U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of North Carolina, Robert Hingdon Jr., thank you so much for your time and insight, Bobby. Thank you, Deborah. I'm Mark Boyle in the Live Center. Some brand new information from the Durham County Health Department right here, linking several of its new COVID-19 cases back to an event, a church event that was held at the Millennium Hotel in Durham. This all happened on March 22nd. It was hosted by Faith Assembly. Now, investigators are saying if you went to that event and you're having some of those symptoms of the flu, you're asked to give them a call. The exact number of people tied to that event that have COVID-19 has not yet been released. Also new that was just released, Spirit Airlines just shutting down service altogether to airports including New York's LaGuardia and Newark, New Jersey, following CDC new travel advisories advising people stay away from New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut while the numbers there continue to spike tonight. Back to you. Let me see what request we got here. What request we got here? Oh, you know what? I don't know what you got there. Let's just get it going. What you, what you got? Let's just get it going. Oh,
nationwide shutdown is not enough to stop the show at Plus Dueling Piano Bar in Raleigh. A three and a half hour Facebook Live video kept thousands of people entertained Saturday night, and it's all for a good cause. Today's Neighborhood Hero takes us to downtown Raleigh's Glenwood South. Tony Basford took a break from the stage to join us live on FaceTime tonight. Tony, we appreciate you being with us. Listen, my dad played piano throughout his whole life, so this instrument is very close to me. This initiative was very successful. You raised a lot of money. Tell us about the experience and how that money is going to be used. Well, we, uh, we raised over $7,000, um, and uh, it was awesome uh, to, to have the, the support that we did. It was actually a concert, the largest concert plus Dueling Piano Bar has ever done with over 30,000 viewers that night. And uh, we raised over $7,000. And one thing that we're going to be doing uh, is we are going to be feeding uh, the three major hospitals here, uh, both, their, uh, both shifts, both 12-hour shifts. And we're going to be doing that with Manhattan's Pizza. So plus Dueling Piano Bar, Manhattan Pizza has, has uh, teamed up to do that. Um, and... Uh, we're also just going to be doing random acts of kindness. It's kind of it's going to be a little tricky this week because we're videoing all this because we want to have a feel good video to go out. You know, obviously in the times that we're living in now, just good news like you're doing now. But um, we want to, we want to be out there and giving the money away to people buying groceries for them, um, have a line or or pay for someone's gas or, or or a utility bill or something like that. Wonderful ideas, and we appreciate what you're doing. We're going to keep following you as you do this, Tony. And we appreciate you being part of our, our show tonight, Tony Basford. Well, I, I, do, I do appreciate you. Thank you so much. And, and I, we look forward to seeing you more. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Tony. We appreciate it. Now, we know many of you want to help your neighbors in need during this crisis. We have a growing list of links, donation needs, and ways to help students while schools are closed. Just go to WRL.com, search here to help for ways to lend a hand. You can also sign up for our daily coronavirus podcast updates. We'll see you again tonight at 10 and 11. And as we say goodnight, a glimpse of hope and proof things will get better again. Retailers and shopping malls reopening today in Wuhan.